Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Hugh Byrne, and we'll be talking about his new book, Habit Swap, Trade In Your Unhealthy Habits for Mindful Ones. All of us have a harmful habit that we'd like to change, whether it's unhealthy eating, excessive drinking or shopping, procrastination, compulsively checking email and texting, TV binging. Um, But no matter what the bad habit is, you have the power to change it. From the author of the highly successful The Here and Now Habit, this practical guide offers everyday mindful practices for replacing unhealthy habits with healthier ones. With this book, you'll learn to break free from stubborn behaviors and discover the freedom and peace that comes with living mindfully. Once you're aware of the emotions that drive your bad habits, you'll feel more empowered to make wise and beneficial choices that enhance your well-being. For more information, you can visit uh, Hugh's website, which is hugh-burn.com. That's H-U-G-H-B-Y-R-N-E.com. And so then I'd like to welcome you to the show. Good day, sir. Good day to you, Robert. Good to be with you. Thank you. I'm I'm uh, happy to have you with me to, to talk about a couple different topics. Um, you know, first we are going to talk about um, habit swap, and you know, it's um, one of those topics that I don't think we can pay enough attention to. Um, but also, um, while I was you know preparing for the show, one of the things that I came across was a, a, a posting that you had on Facebook um, with a Zoom um, class. Uh, presentation that you did and um, I really liked um, your perspective on kind of what these times that we're going through um, maybe a a way to view those things so um, it's a little departure from the habit swap but in a way the mindfulness aspect is is part of the is that thread so can you talk tell us a little bit about you know what now you're there in Washington DC correct Mm-hmm. Correct, yeah. Just outside. Yeah. I mean, Silver Spring, so, Maryland, but a few miles away, yeah. Okay. Yeah, in the, in the general, yeah, there. So tell us a little bit, you know, first of all, what's your view um, of, you know, from a um, mindfulness or kind of a, a higher level, you know, purpose or, or some of the things behind the pandemic and then, of course, what we had as far as the uh, you know the protesting and all that kind of thing. So let, let, let's just start with the pan, you know the pandemic. What's your view of um, you know what that situation created for us in general? It's a great question, a big question, isn't it? Um, well, I think what one of the ways that I look at the pandemic, uh, you know, it, it, it's um, clearly it's something that's 
affecting everyone, um, impacts all of our lives. I don't think there's anyone in the country and probably in the world that isn't affected, you know, whose li life hasn't been affected by this, either by, you know, the, the, the illness itself or the fear of getting Ill, the illness or of fear that our elderly relations of uh, family members are going to get it or that we're impacted by the, <clears throat> the uh, measures that are taken to mitigate that, uh, to limit the spread of the illness so it doesn't overrun healthcare systems. So here, as we know, there have been what almost, I think, 40 million now uh, claims for unemployment. Uh, certainly tens of millions of people uh, are out of work now, and so their lives are dramatically affected by that. And even if we're not affected in that way by you know, losing our job and not knowing whether we'll have a job to go back to, so many of us, we've all been affected by the, the you know, stay at home, shelter in place, quarantine, whatever mm -hmm. language you want to use, and it's different in different places. So our lives have really been changed by this reality that's, um, you know, that's here for, for all of us. And where I think the practices of mindfulness and other, you know, other allied kind of practices uh, like compassion mm -hmm. and loving kindness and equanimity, where they come in is that I think in the first kind of powerful way they come in is that we're all you know, we're all, we're all affected, and what it does for us is, you know, this situation is a threatening one. You know, it raises fear and anxiety, and not necessarily in the same way for everybody, but for many people, it's like, oh, what, what if I were to get sick? What if I'm older or my health is compromised? Or what if my family members can do that? Or what if I'm going to, you know, what is my job secure? What will happen around that? And wh what would I do if I didn't have my work? You know, would I be able to pay my rent or my mortgage or my car payment or whatever? All of these things. So it's quite natural for fear and worry and anxiety to come up with all this uncertainty because we don't know how serious, you know, how bad it's going to be. Is it going to get worse again? How long it's going to last? All of these things. So naturally, these emotions and these responses come up in us. Now, where mindfulness comes in is that with awareness, we can pay attention to those fears, those worries, those anxieties when they come up. And we can allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling. We can feel, oh, the tightness in my chest or my breath is getting short or I'm spinning out thoughts about what might happen, what could happen. And rather than get, you know, running away with our, letting our thoughts run away with us and getting into kind of really into a stressed out, you know, anxious mode, we can respond in a wiser and kinder way to what's coming up. So mindfulness really gives us tools to be able to navigate, I think, any situations that arise in our lives. And this is a big one for all of us. And to meet those situations with, with, um, with kindness, with acceptance, and we can, obviously we can change things that we need to change as much as we can, but some things we can't change, you know, the fact that this virus is here, we, we can't do very much about that, we can change our behavior, we can cultivate good habits of, you know, not 
touching our face, you know, mm-hmm. all the time and putting on masks and social distancing, all of those things. So mindfulness has a very big role to play in how, in whether we're really affected in a negative, in a really negative way. I mean, doesn't mindfulness doesn't determine whether you lose your job, probably, but, right. it, but it can right. help us in terms of how we respond and how we deal with situations, you know, often really painful and difficult situations. So that's just one kind of important way of framing the time, you know, this time that we're, we're living in. We have a choice in how we respond, how we meet our experience, and that can be power, a powerful support in difficult times. So let yeah. me pause you know, there because there's a lot more to say, well, but that, that's probably more than enough. Yeah. Well, you know, and, no, you know, and, and I appreciate that because, I, you know, the when we're seeing um, the what we're seeing as far as differences in. Um, uh, intensity and, and loss of life um, really uh, we see different different approaches you know and, and people different responses from like from different countries and what the results of those responses are so in a way we can yeah. kind of quickly identify you know which responses save more lives and which responses don't yeah. um, and, and but and, and to me though it, it's also um, I never really, you know, thought much about um, the, um, the the differences in like um, compassion. You know how compassion is is displayed, and, and it seems like this particular the, the pandemic has um, created ample opportunity for us to see compassion and lack of yep. too, um, yep. which I think is. Um, so with all of that kind of coming to play, does that um, – can you – do you kind of um, put that in the mindfulness stew in a way of, of recognizing that, you know, just being aware of response and then bringing it down to a personal level and responding yeah. differently? Yeah, no, that's a great question. That, that, you know, what, what I would say around that is that, like, I'll just take my own situation. It's not an uncommon one, but it's not the same as everybody's experiencing. Everything I do um, is, like, teaching classes and workshops and going out into the world and into the community to do, you know, to share teachings and practices and help people kind of navigate their lives in in healthy way, you know, healthier ways. Mm -hmm. Everything I did before the pandemic, I do now, but I do through you know, through Zoom and, you know, right. through um, through these kind of platforms. So I'm actually not affected. In fact, in, any, in some ways, my life has been made easier because I don't have to travel, you know, an hour this way, an hour that mm-hmm. way. I can do it on, right. and I even, you know, some of, I might have 60 or 70 people in a class, you know, in, in, in a space in Washington, D.C., but I might have 150 people online because they can join from the west coast they can join from from the uk or you know right. whatever and so i'm really i'm i'm affected obviously in some ways you know in the ways that all of us are in terms of you know we're not going out to eat in restaurants and those kind of things but livelihood wise i'm not 
I'm not negatively affected. But I'm very conscious how significantly many, many others are affected. So my responsibility, as I see it, just on an individual level, is what can I do you know, in a you know, in a limited way, because I'm not a millionaire or a billionaire right. or whatever. But I I, I have resources that <laughs> right. I can, you know, I can look at, you know, where do I get my hair cut? And I can't do that or haven't been able to do that in this period. But I can still send, you know, the amount of money I would have. Or the person, the folks that come in to clean our, clean our, you know, do our house cleaning. We're not having them come in, but we're paying them. You know, these are just small things. Right. Um, but we're making right. sure that we that we don't you know we're not just these isolate this isolated kind of bubble although we are kind of isolated in some ways but we're not we're remembering that we're part of a much larger we're part of society and and compassion is a practice that I think is you know in, incredibly powerful and important because it keeps us connected both with others and their situation and their suffering and with ourselves in the form of self-compassion if we're having a hard time ourselves to be able to bring that same quality of kindness and care to ourselves and th and it's a quality that we can cultivate you know it's one that in in a sense kind of naturally arises we care if somebody's lying injured on the road we naturally want to go and help them so it's a natural thing but it's also something that we can cultivate we can deepen um it's also something that we can um that we can shut out you know if we get caught up in our own fears and you know feel threatened by things or feel these other people out there are doing bad things then we can really cut off that quality of compassion we can see that in political figures who don't seem to have you know very much of that empathy or compassion to others mm -hmm. you know and just you know act in a what seems like a very individualistic and selfish kind of a way so it's a quality yeah. that we can cultivate and i think it's really important in in these times that we are it's not just a platitude or a cliche to say that we're all in this together because we really are right yeah yeah exactly and and you know to me the uh just you know the situation bringing um to the forefront compassion you know definite where you were you you're given or presented you know many many um examples of of compassion and and actions and then examples of not and so it's one of those things where i don't think it's not i don't believe it that it's had its um, proper um place or proper stature you know in in life you know um but it is bringing it up now um kind of a, a little bit of a segue with you know with we're talking about you know all of the changes that we've people have had to do and you know creating some you know some that are comfortable or, or not um do you feel that um this particular period is is kind of like ripe for swapping habits for habit swapping um for for making better habits or or getting at least eliminating those that we want to i i i do actually and um i i we were we were just talking briefly before the the program started you were mentioning the um the protests um 
the over the last couple of weeks uh, following the, the the killing of, of uh, George Floyd in in Minneapolis. And one of the things I've I'm really struck by is how how much of an impact that killing has had in the you know in the protests, not just in the protests, but in the changing mm -hmm. of people's minds. I was just reading a, a, an article today, I think, in the Washington Post um, the, of, of opinion polls, and, and there's been other polls on this as well, that there's been this dramatic increase in the number of people, proportion of people who believe um, the, the protests are legitimate and uh, are, are important um, and really support them and who believe that um, racial that black lives matter is 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 something that you know they adhere to or subscribe to and obviously includes a lot of white people who uh, in this mm -hmm. last even in this last two weeks they've shown a huge huge surge in, and, and that's coming out of something, obviously, it was a killing that was so outrageous, so egregious, so, so much kind of impunity, you right. know, just standing there and, you know, and, and taking the life of, of, of the breath from, from somebody in that way. And, but, it, the, but it could have been the case that that was just seen as an individual thing. But what people have drawn from this, I think, is that it really is systemic. It's something much much deeper and I'm just talking about that just to say that people that we can change in big ways collectively as well as obviously individually we're part of that collective in a very short period of time we've seen that obviously with marriage you know equality you know um, mm -hmm. gay people lesbians um, being able to marry how that shifted dramatically and what so what's happening there is I think is that these changes can you know some something can happen that can can really turn things very very quickly and you know i think that's one of the things we're seeing right now things are really in a in a very kind of um i don't know what the word is it, in a way it's tenuous it feels like it could go one way or the mm -hmm. other you know right. in terms of the overall mm -hmm. political situation there's a great deal of energy for what i see as very positive and needed change but there's also very strong kind of there's a strong you know at the highest levels a strong energy to kind of pull things back to the past you know to what you know right. to situations where things were much less equal and you know some idealized past that you know never really existed and and what did exist was was um you know was unjust and unequal and all of those things so things can change very fast and kind of coming down to that more specifically to the habit level um one of the things that the one one of the findings of research scientific research into habit change is they found is that the time the times that we're most amenable to or most in a place to change our habits is when our situation changes you know so they've found for mm. example that if you want to give up smoking or you want to change the way you eat um, to do it when 
you know, if you're, you know, going off to college or you're moving house or your situation has changed, if you can change the context and the environment and in, in which you're living out your life, you know, through something or you're already doing, that's a powerful time to, be, to change habits because your everyday stimuli are not operating in the same way. The things that trigger the habits aren't there in the same way. And I've, I've written in this period, in this last month or two, about the ways in which, you know, all of our lives are changed. I mean, as I was saying at the beginning, you know, we're, we're working much more from home or our situation, you know, the overall situation has changed so much. It's a really good time to look at our behaviors. And one of the things, the mm -hmm. other thing that's also happening is that if we're not conscious, then those habit, the habits we do have can actually get worsened. So you've probably, we've all heard mm -hmm. about people who are like, oh, I'm eating too much. I've put on 15 pounds since I've been, you know, <laughs> since I've been working from home or I'm drink, drinking that extra glass or two of wine at the end of, of, the, of the evening or having that quarantini, you know, uh, to, you know, to kind of chill <laughs> out. Something's okay. <laughs> exactly. I'm not, I'm not being moralistic or judgmental about no, that because that's not a good way to go. But, but, but just to be <laughs> conscious, to be aware, mm -hmm. if we're not right. aware, then we easily gravitate towards the things probably we're already doing, but we might do more of them. But we can use this as a time to say, okay, what, what can I do? Can I be more conscious? What might I do more different? What might I do differently that might be more helpful, more healthy for me? So it's a really good time to kind of think about that and to start new things, you know. And, and, and uh, the, the, the science, as I said, really bears this out. And I find it myself in my own life that, that I've been, I've, I'm doing things now in a different way because I'm consciously bringing awareness to, you know, okay, the day, my day looks different than it did before. And how am I going to organize my day so I'll do more of the things that I think are helpful for me and are kind of in mm -hmm. line with my overall intentions and fewer of the things that, you know, don't, you know are, are kind of more about wasting time. And again, not, not being moralistic yeah. mm -hmm. about it, but, but just, no, no. you know, making, mm -hmm. making that choice. I, I, think, I think it's good, it's good and helpful for people to have ways of getting some relaxation and finding some comfort, but being conscious about that as much as we can. Yeah. Well, you know, that uh, kind of leads perfectly into um, the, the, there was when I was reading through the book, there was a, a statement that um, let me just kind of read it. The spirit of mindfulness and the spirit with which we approach mindful habit is one of acceptance, compassion, and non-judgment. You know, and that, you know, you kind of were, some of the things you were just saying there really kind of fall into that non-judgment. But would you mind sharing with the listeners yeah. You know that idea of the acceptance, compassion, non-judgment, because I think that's a, you know, an important factor in why maybe sometimes um, we're not successful in changing our habits that we want to change. Exactly, exactly. You know, the, as I said, you know, is the quote from the book. I mean, um, the the spirit 
with which, or the attitudes with which we meet our experience, and including here our ha habitual behaviors, our habits, the spirit we, with which we meet any experience is really important. I mean, am I, you know, am I going into my day with a, with a, a kind of a attitude of like resistance? Oh, I don't like the way things are, or I'm kind of I'm, I'm mm -hmm. resisting or or if I'm bringing judgment to my own behaviors you know if, if my if my habit is to kind of be harsh on myself be judgmental oh there I go again I can never do things right you know if that's the habit that we that we have developed because these habits we develop over time and often they might come often they come from very early age, a very early age from childhood you know we might have been told certain things about ourselves we start believing them and that kind of becomes the the kind of the lens through which we look at the world and so the the attitude we bring to our experience to you know how we meet anything mm -hmm. any any moment is is really critical and so to be kind to ourselves so to not beat ourselves up for you know if we if we let's say we are trying to cultivate a, you let go of a, an unhealthy habit let's say we're we're trying to we want to give up smoking. We feel like this isn't healthy and, you know, kind of harmful. So I want, I want to stop doing it. So when we, when we try and do that, then, you know, one of the things I talk about in this book and in my, the earlier book you mentioned, Here and Now Habit, is that um, once that habits, once they're formed, become difficult to change because they they it's a it's the more ancient part of the brain that gets that takes over behaviors if we do something often enough put a seatbelt on when we get in the car at first we do it intentionally you know or our Parents tell us, okay, Johnny, put on, you know, put on your seatbelt. You know, now, we're not going to start until you put on your seatbelt. <laughs> After a while, that action becomes, um, it becomes a habit. We get into the car, and the first thing we do is we reach, you know, reach over, put the seatbelt on. Mm -hmm. um, but what's happening there is, is the part of the brain that was originally in control, the intentional part. Oh, what do I do now? Okay, I do this. We're doing it intentionally. That get, gets kind of pushed to one side, and it's the ancient part of the brain, the kind of the older, kind of what we share with the reptiles and the monkeys and you know, all of that, that, get, that takes over. It's the automatic part of the brain that kind of, so that once, we, once, we, once something becomes habitual, um, it becomes unconscious, becomes automatic. You know, we, it gets triggered by the context. We get in the car, we put on the seatbelt, get in the car. We could change it, but it's hard to change, you know, a habit after once we've, um, you know, once it's become established. And so that's where mindfulness comes in. The mindfulness kind of puts the spotlight on any situation says, okay, I want to, I need to, you know, I want to make a change here. We come into a kind of space between the stimulus to, to you know, carry out the habit and the, and the automatic mm -hmm. response. And we come into that space where we can make a choice. Now, that's kind of the key 
key role that mindfulness can play. It kind of shines the spotlight of awareness on our experience so that we can say, okay, I don't want to keep doing that. Obviously, it's not the seatbelt, but in if I'm smoking, if I feel right. that urge to smoke, right. I can say, okay, I'm feeling that urge. Can I just stay with that rather than going straight to the pack of cigarettes or whatever? So now, when we talk about the attitudes, coming back to acceptance, kindness, and non-judgment, Mm -hmm. the, the the kindness is is important because you know let's say we 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 lapse and we do we're trying to stop smoking and then we're, there's a stressful situation we have a cigarette okay um, if we beat ourselves up about that then that's actually not a good strategy for making the change it just reinforces the the sense of oh i can't do this i'm worthless i'm useless mm. might as well just go on doing what i was doing before but if we can meet that lapse you know it's a lapse it's not something we wanted to right. happen with kindness and with acceptance accept you know this is what happened be kind to yourself not be judgmental then we can then say okay it was a hard situation to be in, and I, I wish I hadn't, but I'm going to make a commitment to, you know, what I'm wanting to do, which is to, to stop smoking, you know, to not, not continue with that. So our attitudes, these attitudes of kindness, acceptance, non-judgment, I think are really key to, to making change because we're, we're, we're accepting the truth of a situation, um, and we're not, we're not, kind of exacerbating it by beating ourselves up, by being mean to ourselves or being harsh to ourselves. So um, at attitude, I think, is really key. It's a key element of mindfulness, and it's also key to developing new habits, new helpful habits, and letting go of the ones we want to change, the less helpful or less healthy ones we want to change. Yeah, yeah, that's you know what, when I was going through and reading that section, you know, um, I I've, when I've gone through and you know worked on changing some of those bad habits, uh, it was common for me to go ahead and just kind of you know beat myself up. You know, why didn't I do that? I should have known better. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. You know, all of that that all of that kind of stuff going through. And um, but um, you're right, it, it does it does reinforce. Um, the, that you can't, you know, the, or you're telling your, your mind or your, yourself that you can't do something. Um, and right. um, and some of those, some of those, if they're if they're if they're uh, deep uh, rooted habits, um, there could be probably many times of um, kind of falling off the wagon, so to speak, or, or having right. a little bit of a experience. Yeah, I think so. I mean, very often, I used to be a smoker in my <clears throat> in my younger days, <clears throat> back in my twenties. Excuse me, <clears throat> back in my twenties, and <laughs> that's not a smoker's cup. Um, the um, and and <laughs> I, I remember a number of times, you know, I would I would uh, I would I'd, I'd try to quit, and you know, and right. th you know, I think there wasn't enough seriousness about it, and then I'd co kind of go mm -hmm. back to it, and. I actually got into my 30s, and uh, for me what happened was I, I got sick while I was on vacation somewhere, and it, you know, it, it just didn't feel good to, to smoke. And then 
it was also my my daughter's birthday, and uh, I thought uh, you know we were living in separate places at the time, and um, and uh, you know I, I stopped for a day, and then after a day I thought, oh then, yeah it wasn't too hard, and I, another day, and then okay, but you know. I don't need to do this anymore. And then I could, the I commitment right. was very mm-hmm. strong and I haven't in whatever, 30 years, I haven't, uh, I haven't smoked a cigarette and I haven't had a, the, the uh, inclination to or the wish to either. You know, it kind of feels like, God, why, why did I ever want to do, you know, that? And yet, you know, once, right. it, once you, it's an established habit, particularly there where there's the kind of physiological as well as the psychological kind of need, the addiction, if you like, makes it even more difficult than a you know a habit of um you know eating a little bit you know in in unconscious ways or snacking unhealthily it's probably not going to be so hard to change as something like you know smoking or you know you know addiction to drugs obviously something like that but um right. it uh but as you say it, it, it we we will experience we will tend to experience lapses and times when we 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 act in ways that uh, are not what we wanted to do. And if we do keep beating ourselves up and judging ourselves, it's going to reinforce that sense of a kind of a, an inadequate or a bad self uh, that, you know, can't do the right yeah. thing. And that's just, I, 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 it's just not a very healthy way of responding and being in the world. I think a much healthier one is to, you know, be diligent and, you know, have strong intentions, but also be compassionate to ourselves because we're all, we're all under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. And I'm not saying to, you know, let ourselves off the hook for everything, but kindness, <laughs> no, I think, but is really easy. important. Just go easy. Yeah. Yeah. Just go, go away, Just go easy on yourself yeah. a little bit. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really. I, I think it's be kind to ourselves, but also be be right. clear and be diligent, and 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 that's a yeah. that's a balanced thing because c- people can go too far the other way, which is in the direction of ah, it doesn't matter. I can do anything that that I want. Doesn't make a difference, you know. So then we can do right. very unhealthy things, and that's going to have a big impact on our health and our lives and all of that. So we certainly want to live, you know, in ways that we can be as fully alive as we can, we live as healthily as we can, live as long as we can in a healthy way. Um, but that, that's going to be, that's going to become through awareness, through intention, through being clear about what we care about, what's important to us. And, um, and also really being kind to ourselves when we do when we do make mistakes or we do lapse and it's finding that balance because it's not this you know what i'm talking about isn't about being rigid or it's not about being perfect it's about being right. human but being human in mm-hmm. a conscious way in an examined way that will lead to greater freedom in our lives yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take uh, just a, a quick break here, Hugh, and I do want to invite listeners, if you would like to call in and ask any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359, or for those listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions, feel free to pose them there. Um, and then when we come back, Hugh, um, one of the things that I've found um, interesting topic lately is uh, what um, people are learning about the brain 
and yep. the idea of neuroplasticity. And so uh, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about that and to, just to give the listeners out there some science as to, you know, behind what's going on, okay? Absolutely. Okay, great. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website ByteRadio.me has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us. Again, today my special guest is Dr. Hugh Byrne, and we are talking about his new book, Swap Habit Swap, Trade Your Unhealthy Habits for Mindful Ones. Again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is hugh-burn.com, and that's H-U-G-H-B-Y-R-N-E.com. And definitely go to that website. Um, under Programs and Offerings, you can see uh, meditations, talks, and trainings. Um, and this uh, has some wonderful videos there as well as some um, articles and essays. So a lot for you to explore there. So with that, we're back here. Hi again. Hi again. Okay. So um, the idea of, you know, neuroplasticity. Now, um, I have only heard that, you know, in recent years. But, you know, I I grew up in the time when it was like, you know, uh, you party too much, you lose those brain cells, that's it. Nothing you're really going <laughs> to you're, right. you're done for. You know, those pathways aren't coming back. So. Can you talk talk a little bit about uh, the idea of neuroplasticity and, and maybe how that fits in with habits, you know, maybe between the yeah. conscious and unconscious transition there? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a fascinating area. And as you say, um, you know, a generation ago, what your, your kind of way of looking at things was, was the general one, you know, it's the general understanding that... Um, that we, uh, you know, that our, our, our brains develop in childhood and then kind of reach a certain level in, when we become adults. And then after that, it's kind of a downhill, a downhill slope, you know, to, uh-huh. to our death 50 
years later or whatever, you know. But um, what the science shows, I mean, that's a simplistic uh, statement of it, but, but generally in that, right. that was how it was seen. But um, what the science has shown, particularly in the last 20 years or so, is that our brains are always changing. And most importantly, our brains change by the way we, through the way we use them, by what we do. So just some simply, some good examples, um, I, I think real fun examples. One is um, they've done studies of London taxi drivers, and as your listeners may well know, the um, London is a, an ancient city where I, I grew up, uh, been there for 2,000 years or more, and it's kind of built one, one kind of generation on top of another and another and uh, you know it wasn't mm -hmm. like Paris you know in the 1800s you know big new boulevards laid out or Washington DC where the, everything's clear it's all it's uh, nooks and crannies and getting from one side of the London to another is uh, um, if you don't take the the, the tube the, the metro um, is not an easy thing and so the story they the the uh, London cab cab drivers, the taxi drivers, have um, a, a test they have to take to, um, to get from, to show that they can get somebody from one part, any part of London to another part of London. And so they have to do a test which typically they would study for two, three years and really drive around on scooters and, and to find, you know, make sure they mm -hmm. knew every, oh, here and here. And they would be tested on it. It was a really rigorous exam. Well, what's interesting is that they'd studied the brains of these taxi drivers who'd been through what well, they called it the knowledge. That's the term they use to gain <laughs> okay. the knowledge uh -huh. that is to how they get around London anywhere to anywhere else and they found that people's bre the, cat, the brains of these taxi drivers had changed they got much much stronger kind of more gray, gray matter as it were in areas hmm. associated with spatial awareness visual and spatial awareness because that's what they needed to do they needed to know how to get from here Leicester Square to Hoburn to you know to Kingston or whatever it might be so that was that's one area where they they showed that and that, you know it's it's a very interesting one with with taxi drivers they've also done s studies of pianists and violinists who you know have to know you know the brain the connection with the touch of the keys or the or the the bow and the strings and how that affects the brains and they've again they've they've found the brain changes in those areas you know that are highlighted that are kind of lit up in that particular activity whether it's playing the piano or playing the violin or or any other instrument and so our brains are changing through what we do through the actions of, of, um, that, that we take. What's very interesting in terms of meditation is that they've done lots of studies of the brains of meditators. And, you know, many are still, um, studies are happening all the time in, on meditation and how meditation helps because um, there's so many, so many ways in which, um, you know, you can point to the benefits of meditation in terms of lessening stress and anxiety and depression and PTSD and a whole range of other things. But one re really interesting study a few years back took people, meditators, who were just doing an eight-week program of, um, 
mindfulness program called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. They were doing an eight-week program, and they, um, they, they, they scanned the brains of the, the meditators doing that program, and they were doing um, uh, an average of just under half an hour of meditation a day. That's what they averaged over this period of eight weeks. And they compared the brains of, of the meditators doing this program to a control group that was not doing meditation, mm-hmm. was doing kind of treatment as usual, whatever. I can't remember what that was. But, that, but what they found was that the brains of the meditators changed and the actual gray matter in the brain thickened in areas associated with awareness and focus and and the the brain itself the 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 the, the, the had was changed through the activity just over this eight-week period. So these weren't people, people even who'd been meditating for 30 years, but, but people who were doing a program over this short period of a couple of months. And they've had similar studies of, you know, what, what the effect of how compassion affects different parts of the brain, how mindfulness practices, you know, practices of loving kindness, how... Um, how how they how that you know what parts of the brain get activated when we do this and obviously there's you know studies of the benefits of you know what the changes that take place not just in the structure of the brain itself but in terms of people's behaviors and um you know in terms of health conditions that are improved through meditation as well but the but, but the but the question that you you asked around neuroplasticity plasticity is that yes it's it's that our brains change through what we do and and mindfulness and meditation are ways of changing our brain and and how it how it fits in with habits think of the simple habit not an easy habit to develop but but one uh, um that can be a powerful one and that is the practice of meditating on a regular basis and being present being present being aware for example if you're practicing mindfulness of breathing being aware of your breath as you're breathing just simply not not trying to control the breath, but just aware of breathing in and breathing out. That's a very common form of meditation to be bring mindfulness to the breath as a way of being more present, kind of strengthening the capacity to be and live more in the present rather than in our heads, in the future, in the past. And so what happens is when we sit down to meditate, and we bring, let's say we bring awareness to our breathing. We practice, okay, notice, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today. You know, or why did that person, <laughs> colleague, say that thing to me earlier? Very easily. Uh-huh. Or, or, or the mind uh-huh. goes to the movie we saw yes, last night, right. you know, and, oh, yeah, that uh-huh. character, oh, that was really, I was really moved by that and get caught up in that. And, and uh-huh. what the practice is, as anyone who meditates will know, a practice mindfulness meditation will know, is that when you notice that the mind has gone off into daydreaming or planning or worrying, or remember, you just, in an, again, in a non-judging way, 
in an accepting way, except the mind has gone off, you just come back again to the breath, in breath and out breath, in breath and out breath. Maybe you go off again, bring it back. Each time we bring the breath back in that way, we are, in fact, strengthening those pathways in the brain, known as neural pathways in the brain, so that Mm -hmm. each time we come back, we're actually strengthening our capacity to be more present. And each time we stay with the breath, we're strengthening that capacity to be present. We're increasing the likelihood that in the future, we will lean more in that direction rather than in the direction of just kind of spacing out and being lost in thought and daydreaming and fantasizing. We strengthen that capacity. And that really speaks to neuroplasticity. It speaks to the way that our action in being aware of our breathing, being present with the in-breath and the out-breath, coming back when the mind wanders, that that actually strengthens those parts of the brain, those pathways of the brain that help us to be, you know, present in a in a in a in an alive and active way in our lives rather than being AWOL, being somewhere else. And so that's the case really with our habits. What we're doing is we're repeating something often enough. You know, if we if we want to cultivate a healthy right. habit. You know, let's say you, you, you have a tendency to judge yourself or be harsh on yourself. One of the things I talk about in the book, Habit Swap, is if you can just notice that each time you do something and then you say, oh, there I go again, I'm so worthless or I'm a loser or whatever, that instead of, of, instead of being harsh, you, you just take that moment, you, say, you notice that tendency, and then you bring in kindness you just could be just, oh, can, may I be kind to myself? Can I just be kind? Can I just accept myself as I am? So you actually consciously bring in that as a new approach to your experience. So, you know, the habit is to be harsh on yourself. If you can catch yourself when you do that, it's like, oh, I'm so useless. Oh, May I be, may I, can I just be kind to myself? Or just, it could be a simple thing. Could you, you just put your hand on your heart and you say forgiven? Forgiving yourself for doing something that, you know, you feel was a mistake or you wish you hadn't done. Can I just be kind to myself now? So each time you do that, you're creating a new, more healthy um, response to a stimulus, to a situation. And that, I think, is another example of training the brain, training the mind to, you know, in a direction that is helpful for our lives, is is beneficial to us, rather than is causing us, you know, harm or is unhealthy in another way. I hope that's a helpful response. It is. It is very, you know, and it kind of um, dovetails into one of the topics I want to make sure to get to before we close. And and that was in regard to social media, you know, and healthy or unhealthy habits. And, um, you know, when we talked about uh, um, the train of thought while meditating, every time that happens to me, which (laughs) is often, um, I just, when I, when I start to get to the second or the third, you know, 
tangent, it's I, I just laugh and it's like, oh my God, where am I going? So you know, it's like going yeah. back to where and humor, you know, where I'm supposed to be. And humor is a really healthy response too. Yeah, yeah. Bringing, so, in, bringing um, in humor. Yeah, but but go ahead with social yeah, media. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, and and you know, we're, we're talking just before um, I brought that up about social media. You, know, you talked about you know. Um, Finding things, you know, things that um, you know you you like versus when when uh, if I wanted to get angry on social media, I can find a place to get angry. You know, yep. I want to be happy. Yep. There are there's a place I can yep. find to be happy. Um, so um, <laughs> you know, there's there's uh, I mean it's it's one of those things where um, what would you say? Where does it go from something being healthy? you know, to being unhealthy. Yeah. Where, where, where is that, where is that spot, that sweet spot? In, you're you're asking specifically you know. in relation to social media. <laughs> yeah, 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 just in relation to social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I, it's, a, it's a great question. I'd, I'd love if we had 15 minutes on this one, but we probably don't. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, I, I find it, you know, I use social media. I mainly focus, mainly do uh, Facebook. I don't do a lot of Twitter or Instagram, but just because it's a way of being in contact with a lot of people at different phases of my life, you know, going back a long time and people I'm currently friends with and all of that, I just find it, I've actually found it a very helpful medium. But like anything, it can have, it can be used in healthy ways or in harmful ways. And so I've tried to, I try and be very conscious um, about how I, how I use it, how I engage on, on social media. And I think it really, it really calls for a lot of mindfulness because, as you say, it's very, very easy to get into, you know, get into fights with people and arguments. And, and when they happen, you know, because it's disembodied, the person you don't see, the right. flesh and blood person mm-hmm. there, you can, you, you know, you might treat them in a much harsher way, you know, objectify right. them much more than you would in life. And so I, don't, I have no interest in being involved in that because I don't believe it's a good medium for those kind of, it's not a, a good medium for changing people's minds in an argumentative way in you know through argument it may be by sharing some information with people and 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 if it's done carefully you can have a dialogue definitely with people that you have differences with but it has it requires a lot of consciousness a lot of awareness i don't tend to use the medium to try and convince people who are like on a completely different track than i am because i think it, mm-hmm. people tend to default to their you know to to what is easiest which is like you're a bad person because you disagree with me and and so it's more i use it in in it more in other ways of staying engaged with people sharing information um with people um as a as a kind of um you know a connecting a way of connecting staying connected with people um and sharing information about things you know that i have coming up and um, but but it really calls for I think it really calls for a lot of awareness how we how we use these kind of platforms because um, 
because there is such a tendency to, um, you know, for, for them to become, you know, places where there's a lot of polarization, a lot of a lot of division, right. Right. and that and that mm -hmm. doesn't. I don't think there's much more heat than light, as they say. You know, there's much more um, fireworks than there is um, real dialogue there. So um, I, yeah. I, I find that they're, they're lit, that those that platform those platforms tend to be limited in terms of of those dialogues. They can be helpful for just getting new information. Certainly, they right. can do right. you know it can do that. And and you know and staying engaged and staying informed and encouraging people. I think it's more. It's I think there's a there's a place for encouraging people who care about the same things. You know, it, and that can be political, but not in a way where it becomes a kind of echo chamber where everybody is reinforcing, you know, that what they already believe. Because I don't think that's so helpful. You know, if you don't like the president, for example, to go on there and keep, you know, keep bashing <laughs> the president um, because know. you know many other people will say, you know, yeah. And it would work the same the other way, that, you know, you're bashing right. the liberals, you know, and they, yeah, they're like this, they're like that. You know, that doesn't, that, that kind of reinforcing at the echo chamber, I, I don't want to be part right. of that either. But I am, yeah. I'm certainly, you know, I'm working to help elect a, a caring and compassionate leadership in November. Um, and I'll do what I can to, to do that. And I'll use those platforms to do that. Um, you know, w we're putting in efforts, even though I live in Maryland, we're putting in efforts to support grassroots organizing in Wisconsin, because it's a it's a battleground state and it's really pivotal in the election. So we have a webinar actually this evening with um, a couple of leading meditation folks, Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield, along with Van Jones, who's, you know, you'll see on CNN and, you know, has his oh, own yeah. foundation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, um, that's happening, you know, this evening. That that webinar, and I'm I'm part of organising those kind of efforts. But it's not on a basis of turning. What's really important to me is not to make people into enemies, not to reinforce the divisions that mm -hmm. are already incredibly strong, as we know in the society. I don't want. I don't think it's healthy to deepen those divisions. Yes, we have differences, and yes, we 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 want, you know. To different candidates who represent our interests, but we can have. I, I believe we should be able to have honest elections and honest debate without, you know, turning people into enemies because that leads nowhere. You know, I, I, I come back to the words of the Buddha who said, "Hatred never ended through hatred; only through love yeah. is hate ended." This is the law, ancient and eternal, inexhaustible, um, that, that we don't, with nothing is served by polarizing, you know, ourselves even further. So how do we, how do we use social media in ways that are, you know, in ways that are help, helpful and healthy? And I think we can, but it requires a lot of awareness and a lot of discernment to do that. Yeah, that's great. 
Well, Hugh, we have run out of time. <laughs> we could go on for a long time, but um, I'm following yeah. following you on Facebook now, so um, I'll be able to stay abreast of, of what you're doing, and I like a lot of what you're doing, so I, I'm looking forward to um, looking at um, possibly that webinar, see what's going on. And uh, anyway, it's, right. it's been great chatting with you, um, and uh, Habit Swap is um, a great book for people to pick up because now is a good time <laughs> to, to switch out the old and swap them for some good ones. That's great. It's great being with you, Robert. I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you very much. Again, everyone, today my very special guest has been Dr. Hugh Byrne, and we've been talking about his new book, Habit Swap, Trade in Your Unhealthy Habits for Mindful Ones. And again, you can find out more about the book and also his videos, uh, YouTube, um, articles, all kinds of things by visiting his website, which is hugh-byrne.com, and that's H-U-G-H-B-Y-R-N-E.com. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.